Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. So I honor her today. But Genesis 30, verse 1, it says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I'll die. That's that's some powerful words. But Genesis 35 shows something that she was prophesying there. Genesis 35, 16 through 19 says, Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. So it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Ben-Yamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. It seems like a sad story. It doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem encouraging. But when you see the divine hand of God in the later narrative, you will see that this is one of the most profound and prophetic scriptures in my opinion and it speaks to the church and I believe it speaks to the life church I believe that there is something profound here and I just want to get into the vein of what you precious people have already been stirring up in the spirit and I want to join with you in that thank you for being spiritual people but if you will just one more time would you lift your hands you've already worshipped you've praised the king you've told him you want him he's responded to you he's in this room so now we're going to hear his word And he's going to tell us what we're going to do in this city. He's going to speak to us. He's going to give you vision today, Life Church. He's going to give you a word today. Not because I'm here, but because you have earned this word. You have prayed. You have sacrificed. You have fasted. You have sought his face. And so God is going to speak to you today. Father, I submit myself as the vessel today. Best I can do, Lord, is submit myself. God, I want to be filled to overflowing. I don't want to empty myself today, God. I want to minister from the overflow. God, you pour into me such an abundance that it just flows out of me today. That's all I want. God, but don't leave me empty and dry. I want some in reserve for my family when I go home. So God, what I want to do is you just pour into me till it flows all over. In the name of Jesus, for your word promised it that out of our bellies would flow rivers of living water. And that's what I believe you will do today because you love these people. In the name of Jesus, you can be seated today. The calling and ministry of motherhood is intimately marked with sacrifice in that it's at the moment of conception, a woman's body begins to give of itself sacrificially as a woman's blood literally begins to double. The body will release hormones to loose and relax the ligaments to accommodate for delivery. Nausea becomes the norm, and this is, I, I don't mean to speak this as a person, obviously I am a man, but I have keenly watched my wife four times do this and it's as if birthing is designed and childbirth is designed to bring the woman just to the brink of death 
and to deliver a child by water and by blood because it would be a divine testimony of God's eternal kingdom all housed within the woman. And I've watched my wife during pregnancy. Each pregnancy, it seems like it gets a little more dramatic and a little bit harder because my wife, towards the end, she will begin to have body pains. Her body will... You know, she, this last pregnancy, her back began to hurt her. And I asked her, I said, babe, I said, you know, we need to stop having kids. <laughs> like, this is, you're, this is not good. You're, I, I need you. And she said profound words to me. She said, when I got married, I gave myself to you. And I have given myself, my body to these kids. She said, I am not my own anymore. And I've watched as my wife's living testimony has challenged me in a spiritual way because men, let's face it, we don't have a clue how to be a bride of Christ. And that's okay. And I'm, I, I believe that there is authority and power in being a man. I believe in the woman, she houses grace and it's attractive. But I believe in man, he houses authority and truth. And you need both grace and truth. You need both to become one. And I believe it is a profound, so I do not diminish man, but I believe that man can learn a lot from watching woman, and I believe woman can learn a lot from watching men. I don't believe in highlighting both one over the other. I believe both are divinely made in the image of God to show the fullness of God when they come together as one. But I've watched my wife's body, her ligaments begin to loose as it prepared her body to bring forth a child into the world. A mother's sacrificial capacity for love is on full display when in labor she will endure such intense pain in birthing a child and yet at the moment of birth be so moved by the child's arrival that she will be willing to die on the spot for that child even though they've never met nor had a formal conversation. It is unique and it was strange to see that my wife was already, she's never, you know, it, in our day-to-day -day relational lives, we, we get to know one another and trust is formed. And we are not willing to just lay down our life immediately. We need, you know, a camaraderie first, as it were. But in parenting a child, you've never met them. You don't know what they look like. You don't know their eye color, hair color. But the moment they come into the world, you'll die for them. It is unique and it is a testimony and it's so profound and still even this will not be the end of sacrifice because sleepless nights ensue as a mother works all hours to decipher the needs of a human who does not speak the same language as her and the father. Miraculously and albeit frustratingly, her brain shuts down all other inputs into secondary categories and prioritizes the need of a child. And in layman's terms, they call it mom brain, brain fog. It's not that she is losing her capacity for education. Her mind is highlighting priority and is putting everything else into secondary categories because a child is here. Her body is even able to absorb, and this blew my mind as my wife told me one day, and I'm, you know, as first-time father several years ago, we would we were, you know, my wife was taking care of the child. We wanted to go on a date night. And so my wife had my mother come in and she said, okay, all the breast milk is in the freezer. And I went to go get the breast milk for my mom and I brought it to her and I said, babe, I said, hey, I think this milk is expired, babe. I don't, this, this milk is a different color than all the rest of the other milk, you know? And she looked at me as if I didn't have two brain cells to rub together. And she said, no, babe. She said, that was what the child's body needed a month ago. 
I said, I don't understand what you're saying. She said, let me explain this to you. She said, my body can absorb the saliva of the child and it can compute the nutrients needed for that child in the moment. And I pull from my body to give to the child what it needs. And that's what Levi needed a month ago. It's still fine. And this blew me away at the power of the body of the bride. I cannot fully empathize as a man, but I can listen as a husband and I can see quite profoundly that your calling is a lonely road that can only be traversed by a woman with the gracious title of a mother. And this is not a Mother's Day message. This is a church message. I believe God is doing something in this end time hour. I believe that he has had a real pretty Pentecostal bride for many years. I believe she has done a good job getting her hair done for the wedding day. I think she's done a real good job getting the dress ready. I think she's done a wonderful job getting everything in alignment for the marriage. But God is telling the church moving into 23. He said, I have married you. I have made covenant with you. You don't have to be pretty for me all the time. I want to see you giving yourself as you birth me, sons and daughters in the kingdom. I believe the church and 23 is going to shift from bride. You never will stop being a child of God, but that was the beginning. That was salvation. You're never going to stop being the bride. He's always going to be the groom, but I believe a transition is happening in the church, and I feel it strongly for the life church. I believe you're beyond marrying age, and I could see in, the, in that vision that the life church is pregnant with babies, and I'm not talking about prophetic ministries. I'm not talking about prophetic things coming to pass. I'm talking about souls being born into this church. I believe that there is a reason why that there's been vision given to you, Pastor Man. You have been given vision to expand and to do things. There's a reason why, because it's preparation. The ligaments of this building are loosening and getting ready for the influx of the souls. And this is not me just preaching this to you. I wouldn't say any of this unless I felt it from heaven today. I believe there's going to be souls, but hear me today. As you transition from a pretty bride on a wedding day to a mama, I want you to be aware of the road. Be aware of the road. And in pondering the sacrificial and lonely road that you moms are on, I feel that the story of Rachel describes the ministry of motherhood so well. The story of Rachel is relative to all of us today as the story introduces her identity as a daughter, a child first. Her first introduction is a child to the father. Her identity would be tied to being born into the family of Laban. And then we see the development of her identity as she is depicted as a shepherdess. First of all, the first identity that you and I, when we're born in this kingdom, we should identify with sons and daughters of the father who got intimate with the church and we were born into this kingdom. That's our first identity. The second identity will always come upon us as we identify with the ministry that God has given each of us. All of us have a ministry and she had the ministry of shepherdess. The character that is Rachel is developed even more though as her identity is now tied to her looks because it says that she was beautiful in form and appearance. As Jacob worked seven years to marry Rachel, her father tricks him into marrying her sister Leah instead, and we begin to see the kind of woman that Rachel really is. She was more than a daughter. She was more than her job, her ministry. She was more than her looks. 
She could have outwitted her father and married Jacob, but instead she had compassion on her sister Leah and forfeited her time to marry for the feelings of her sister instead. But the sacrificial call that resided within Rachel would explode to the surface and the deepest part of her being beyond her identity as a child, beyond her identity as a shepherdess, beyond her identity of her good looks. Her soul leapt out of her mouth one day as she looked at her husband in Genesis 3.1 and she said, give me some children. And if you don't, I'm going to die. Uh, this is what I was designed for. I am not just a good daughter to Laban. I am not just a shepherdess. I am not just your wife. I am not just a pretty bride. I want to have babies. I want to see souls. I want to see sons and daughters. And if I don't, I am going to die right here on the spot. I want to be intimate. I want children, not just a daughter. I'm not just the job I do of watching sheep. I'm not just a pretty face. I am a mother. Her identity would morph yet again as she would now identify as a mother at the birth of her son, Joseph, who would later save his entire family from starvation during a famine. But to identify with the call of mother would be a sacrifice. And Rachel would truly live the words, give me children or I'll die. When sure enough, as she was birthing her second son, she labors hard and she ultimately passes from this life. She names her son Ben-Oni, which means son of my son sorrow. Do you understand the road of babies is not convenient? You give of the nutrients in your body when souls come into this kingdom. You look at them and say, this is what they need. And we stop coming into the building and saying, God, this is what I need. No, no, we have, we have moved on to a mother. We're trying to, God, I want babies. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you some, but I want you to give of your body. You're not your own anymore. And I feel that the Life Church is mature for this today. I feel that there's something that's shifted in the supernatural for you today, that God is going to give you babies, but he is here today to tell you the road that you're about to embark on in 2023. There's going to be some things that are going to irritates you about some babies. There's going to be some things going to get messy in here, but that's why Ecclesiastes tells us it is far better to have a messy stable and have all the oxen than to have a clean stable and have no oxen. We can have clean, pretty churches. And there's a difference between a bride on the wedding day and a mama. There's a different beauty on a mother. It's something profound. As I watched my wife, I fell in love with her all over again. As I watched living sacrifice in front of me, as she said, I am not my own. And I was enamored with her and I was challenged by her. And I said, God, you've shown me a powerful truth in her. God, let me become that. Let me reach the way she has. And Rachel embodies this because the calling of a mother comes with sorrow and sacrifice. What is striking about the story of Rachel is Genesis 35, 19. So Rachel died and was buried on that lonely road. On the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. While Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Leah are all buried in a family tomb in Hebron, Rachel doesn't get to participate in the family tomb. They bury her, her sisters in the family tomb. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all in that family tomb because this was a Jewish custom. You put the bones with the family members. And yet for some 
unfair seemingly reason, God wills it that a mama that would say, I want babies or else I die. He said to the woman whose soul leapt out of her mouth and said, I want babies or I'll die. I want you to be buried on the lonely road you walked. I want you to be buried on the road that leads to Bethlehem. Why on earth would God do that? Don't you love me? Don't you love this church? Why would you allow me to walk this lonely road? Many will be depressed by this calling. Some may even run from this calling. Others are perplexed by this calling. The call to live and die on the lonely road of motherhood is a high calling. And we don't fully understand the brevity and beauty of Rachel's lonely road and why she wasn't buried with everyone else until a thousand years later in the story. When the children of Israel, that she was instrumental in birthing, that wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for her son Joseph, they're now being led into captivity. They're headed to Babylon as slaves in shackles and in bonds as they're walking. And this is what Jeremiah, a prophet, says in Jeremiah 31, 15. He says, thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. God looked at a woman and he said, the only one I can trust to be buried on that road and not be with everybody else is the woman who said, give me children or else I'll die. I what, here's what I'll do. Since I could see your soul coming out of your actions, Rachel. I know it's not fair. I know it's not going to be beautiful. I know that it's not something to be desired, but Rachel, can I trust you to be buried along that lonely road that people will look at and not understand? Why didn't you participate with everybody else? Why didn't you go and be with everybody else? And why didn't you go and, and do what everybody else was doing? Why did you have to follow this lonely road? Because Rachel, you're the only one that I will hear when your children later are going into captivity. When when you pray, <laughs> Rachel, when you open your mouth in heaven, I'll hear your voice. I'll hear what you have to say. As you were all worshiping, I saw a second vision. I could see the life church praying in intercession. I believe that there's going to be another wave of intercession that raises up in this church. I believe intercessors are going to rise up. And I'm not saying if you're not an intercessor, that's fine. You've got another job. But I believe intercessors are going to rise up, Pastor Man. And this is what I saw. I saw people praying. And as they were praying, I saw people out there that were picking up bottles of pills and they were picking up guns to to commit suicide and as you were praying God heard that voice and sent angels to that person because of the life church in this area there's going to be things that happen in the supernatural they're going to be introduced to angels before they're introduced to evangelists there's going to be evangelists that leave from this church and goes out into this city but before the evangelist goes the road will have already been paved by the Rachel in this room that said God we want sons and daughters and God's going to hear the voice I believe somebody's been praying. I believe somebody in this church has been praying that prayer. And that's why God is here to confirm it to you. I believe God is through this man and his wife has been praying, God, we want souls. But hear me right now. You're going to be misunderstood. 
You're going to be misunderstood by everybody else that has chosen that tomb over there. And while you're walking on this road, they're going to look at you and say, why don't you just join with us? Why don't you do X, Y, and Z? Why do you do this? Why are you doing that? And I'm not going to put labels on anything, but hear me right now. You're going to be misunderstood as you reach souls. There's going to be other churches. There's going to be other people. And we're not in battle and competition with anybody. You're not going to look at them and say, well, we're growing. You don't have to justify anything. When they misunderstand you, go back to the prayer room and pray and say, we just want babies. We just want babies. We just want babies. We just want sons. We want daughters. And there's going to be an uprising in this church of people that are interceding. And what happens is, this is what I saw. Sister man, if you'll rise up, this is what I could see in the spirit. I could see, I just want you to represent this church right now. As the mother of this church, I want you to be the life church. And I want you to look at her and just see all of you are her. You're the body. This is the body right here. And I want you to see yourself in her. What I could see is the life church was in a prayer room going back and forth. And God perked up his ears and he said, ah, I hear the cry of Rachel. I can hear the cry of the life church. Let's rename her. I hear the cry of the life church. You have chosen the lonely road and it's you I'm going to trust. As people are going into captivity and as people are going into things, you're going to be the one whose voice I hear and I'm going to put a stop. I'm going to bring all those people back. Pull that up again. This was the prophecy. He said, because of you, I want you to cease from your crying. I want you to stop weeping, Rachel. I've heard you. I've heard what you said. Now, I'm going to bring all these sons and daughters that are going into captivity. I'm bringing them all back because of you, Life Church, because you chose this path, because you chose to trust me on this road. You've chosen the lonely road. You've chosen to do it no matter what anybody says about you or what anybody thinks of you. It's not that you're arrogant. I want what he wants. I want what he wants. And he wants sons. He wants daughters. I'm here to prophesy to this church today that there's going to be more and more people coming in. There's going to be babies in this room a lot of you are going to be the parents of those babies you're going to be the one taking care of them this pastor the team can't take care of all the souls that are coming in every one of you are being anointed today as moms and fathers in the kingdom you're going to be the ones that are taking care of children i believe that there's going to be bible studies in just about every home that represents the life church i believe that there's going to be swimming tools that are all of a sudden inaugurated with baptisms i believe there's going to be bathtubs that are are going to be covered in the blood as you baptize people in them. There's going to be people being born in every house all around this place and they're going to come into this sanctuary and they're going to worship with their brothers and sisters. There is something changing. But why? Why do we have all of this? It wasn't just so that Rachel could intercede for the sons going to Babylon. That was not why she was there. It's not just to build a church. It's not just to see how many we can put in the building. It's beyond that. It's beyond having the cool testimony of, oh, they were strung out on drugs and they had a vision and it was because of prayer. It's beyond, it's bigger than all of that. It's bigger than the Sunday attendance. What is it all about? Rachel, what is your divine purpose? See, it didn't stop in Jeremiah. It went on to Matthew 2. 
The divine reason for Rachel being buried on that lonely road was centuries later when she would be heard again. In Matthew 2, 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts for two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. God Almighty called Rachel back into the room and he said, Rachel, when I heard you centuries ago praying for your descendants that were going into Babylon as slaves, I delivered them, didn't I? Yes, you did, God. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Oh, I trusted you because I know what your soul longs for, sons or death. And you died on the lonely road. So I heard your cry. And here, Leah's, I heard yours, Rachel, because you wanted sons over death. You wanted anything. And I heard you. But that wasn't the only reason I let you die on that road. It wasn't just for those descendants going to Babylon. It was for me. It was for me because of your prayer. Emmanuel. Emmanuel is spared. Because of your prayers, Herod couldn't kill the baby Jesus. This was all to bring Christ to those. I can now preach my messages. I can now lay hands on the lepers. I can lay my hands on the dead bodies. I can go and touch every unclean thing. Thank you, Rachel. Your job as a mother was to preserve Emmanuel, God, with us. I am able to be with them because you partnered with me. Thank you for showing the church in the future what I'm looking for is not just a bride. I'm looking for mamas. Musicians get ready to come. This is, there's this profound thing that I, I picked up on in, in Exodus. I was talking to a professor of mine. He was a Jewish professor, pastor man. And he was telling me, he said, do you know why the Jews are here today? I said, well, God, he said, oh yes, yes. He said, but do you know who God trusted? And your brain as a minister goes to the prophets. Your brain goes to different, different ones in the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And all of that's true. But they said, it's the mothers of Egypt is why we're here. I said, well, what, what do you mean by that? He said, you don't hear much talk about the women in Egypt. Who when Egypt was most, when we were held bondage in Egypt, the Israelites began to multiply exceedingly. He said, you know what was happening? You know the stories that's been passed down from generation to generation? He says, because of those moms, that when a mother was on the birthing table and a baby was coming into the world, all the other moms linked arms like a big human chain. And when the Egyptians came in to take the babies, the mothers of Israel said, you're going to have to go through us first. If you're going to get to that baby, you're going to have to kill us. You are not. And this is why the Egyptians went back to Pharaoh and they said, the Egyptian women are not like, or the Israelite women are not like the Egyptian women. They are lively. They don't let us go near their babies. They are defensive of their children. This is so important to me, and I'll tell you why. Because five years ago, my wife and I were eternally damaged. We lost our child in a house fire. And I watched the church, my home church, 
he gathered around me. They all gathered around me. And I watched my pastor. He got up on one Sunday and he said, I don't want y'all shaking Brother Holloway around. I don't want you grabbing him and all that stuff. He's going to be fine. He said, I want you to defend them. And I watched the church. They gathered around us. And nobody, when somebody was making a beeline for us to, give, to tell us something, because we, we would hear a bunch of stuff, I would have people in the church that would come and stand guard around me. I saw it physically, brother man, as they gathered around me and they said, here, here, walk with me. We're going to go back to the office. We don't want anybody to say anything that's going to hurt you anymore. <laughs> Every suit I own, mama bought it for me. Literally, I had no clothes after we lost everything in the house fire. Mama got it for me. God gave mama the money. But mama went to Joseph A. Bank and bought the suits. The car I'm driving, mama got it for me. The degree I got, I went to school after the fire. Mama put me through college. Everything I have, mama got it for me. I love my mama. I love the church. I love that I get to go from church to church and look at every mama. Do you know who you are, Life Church? You are to every soul what my mama was to me. I wouldn't be here without the father. But the father said, hey, baby, Pentecostals of Lafayette, I need you to look after look after my son and my mama did it one evening I was laying in my bed and I was just I was so mad I'll just be honest with you just because mama's good just because the father's good doesn't mean I don't have emotions so I'm laying in bed and I'm so upset and I was praying I'd went on a fast my son passed away on the third day of a three-day fast and I was so confused I was just lost and I just said God my dad went on a 30-day fast and he saw an angel physically came and visited him my grandfather's been on fast and angels came and visited him I said God where's my angels why if there's ever a time for angels I think now's a good time can't you just send me an angel to let me know? Because I, I, I feel like I'm, I've missed every mark. And this is what God told me. He said, no, for you, son, I showed you something better than angels. I said, God, what's, what do you mean? I want the supernatural. And at that moment, he didn't answer another word. He gave me a vision. And I was standing in a church. And I saw the Lord standing in the middle of a platform. And I was standing on his left and there was a host of ministers all lined up and I knew that we were the best men. That's what that's the position it was. And he was standing there and I watched the back doors of a church building open and when it opened up, I saw this bride walk through. She was covered in just pure light. I couldn't see any discernible features whatsoever. I just knew that she was literally glowing. She was covered in light and I, it was solid white. I knew she was clothed in righteousness. The word righteous in Hebrew literally means doing well for others, by the way. That's what righteousness means. To do for somebody else what they have no, no ability to do for themselves. That's what that, in fact, if you go to Israel, beggars on the road say, Anisadik, Anisadik, be righteous. Someone please be righteous. Do for me what I can't do for myself. That's what righteousness means. And that's, I saw the bride clothed in righteousness and I watched, I looked over it at Jesus and I saw his heart began to beat. And he looked at me, tears running down his face and he said, she's stunning, isn't she? I said, she is. What makes her look like that? And he looked at me sideways and he says, 
when she does for others what she did for you. That's what gets my heart racing. It's when I see she's not just a pretty bride coming in here trying to look the part all the time. It's when she gives of herself and says, you know what? It's not, I'm not my own. I'm not, I'm not on some fashion show today. I want, I want babies. I just, you know, I want to be practical. I want to wear what's conducive to the child. My, my wife stopped washing her clothes in certain detergents because it was making her children break out. And she started washing her clothes and different. They started hand washing. And she said, I want my kids to have the best. I want my kids to have the best. And I believe that that is happening in the church in 2023. I want you to stand right now. And this is how we're to do this altar call. I feel vision. I feel faith. In fact, I believe there's something powerful about an altar call. It's no more anointing up here than there is in the back, but it's when we come forward and we begin to say, God, I want everything that your word just said. Not my preaching. I don't care about my preaching. The word says this. If you want what the word says, if you want to be not just a child of God, not just a bride of Christ, but a mother, would you come to this altar today? And I'm talking to the men as well. I want you to come to this altar. I want you to throw up your hands and I want you to have an altar of commitment right now. Would you cry out the way Rachel did and say, God, my neighbor or else I'll die. My co-workers or else I'll die. My boss or else I'll die. My family or else I'll die. When you begin to pray like this, God looks down from heaven and says, oh, to Rachel, to Rachel I'll deliver. To Rachel I'll not just give her sons, I will give her all of the future sons as well. But not just them. I will give her Emmanuel. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.